0: There are some sounds that people hear either a lot or hear hardly at all, depending on where you live. There are different noises that you get accustomed to where you live. Growing up in the Chicago suburbs, uh, we lived literally across the street from a fire station. Okay, And so hearing a fire truck siren for me was a regular occurrence. Crazy loud, but we hardly flinched because it was so regular. It was commonplace. You didn't even notice the fire trucks anymore because it was right there across the street. We also lived in the traffic pattern of O'Hare Airport, uh, which at that time was the busiest airport in the world. And so we had commercial jets flying overhead several times every hour and pretty low too because they were either on the approach or taken off. And it got to where we didn't even notice jets anymore either. So this constant noise was assaulting us, and we didn't hear it. Now, one sound I never heard, though, growing up, was the sound of a rooster crowing. Okay? In Chicago, you can hear almost anything, but you'd probably have to go to a zoo to hear a rooster crowing. Um, in the Chicago suburbs, you just didn't hear that. You would have to go out of the city to hear that. So we're out in Far country. Now, however, we live in Pilot Point. Uh, We live on a property with dozens of chickens, several of which are roosters. Hearing a rooster crow is no longer a rarity for me. Uh, It's all the stinking time. And roosters are loud. Those suckers are loud. Crowing isn't meant to be quiet, right? It's meant for everyone around to hear. Uh, And those stories you hear about roosters crowing at dawn, all lies. All lies. Roosters crow at 3 a.m.? Roosters crow at noon, they crow in the afternoon, they crow when you're on a Zoom call, they crow when you're trying to take a nap. I'm not bitter, I'm not bitter at all. They're just doing their thing. And they do crow more frequently at the beginning of the day, that's true. But in this series of messages, we're talking about Peter about the life that he lived and the lessons we can learn from the events of his life. And Peter knew all about roosters. You couldn't live in a rural area like Galilee and not get used to the daily chaos of a bunch of roosters crowing. It was normal life for him. He had heard roosters crowing since the day he was born. And the sound was as familiar to him as the sound of an iPhone alarm would be to us today. It's just commonplace. The roosters crow meant wake up, get up, a new day is beginning. And over the years, he had heard that, noise a thousand times or more but of all the times and of all the roosters only one time in one particular rooster and one particular crow stood out in his mind and it happened one Friday morning in Jerusalem the rooster crowed and Peter never forgot that as long as he lived and he never got tired of telling the story He told the story so often that it was written down four different times, once by Matthew, once by Mark, once by Luke, and once by John. In fact, the story that we're going to talk about today is one of only ten different events that are told in all four Gospels. There's only ten events that are repeated in all four Gospels. This is one of them. Not even Jesus' birth falls into that category. And for 2,000 years, this story, told and retold, has encouraged Christians all over the world. Wherever the story of Jesus' arrest is told, the story of Peter and the rooster is sure to be told as well. And we love this story because we understand it and because we can see ourselves in it. Few Bible stories are as relatable to us as this one is. So let's set the backdrop kind of for the events that we're going to talk about this morning. It begins at the Passover meal that Jesus is uh, celebrating with his disciples right before his arrest. We know this as the Last Supper. And as Jesus gathers with his disciples, he announces that someone is going to betray him, Judas, and then he releases Judas to go do what he has to do. And then we come to this passage in John 13. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me. But you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? So let's pause. This had to be a shocking moment for the disciples, right? They've been with Jesus for three years now, following him around. And now Jesus says, by the way, I'm leaving and you can't go where I'm going. And they don't get it yet. They don't understand exactly what Jesus is talking about. All they understand is we're not going to be with him anymore, and that's not okay. So Peter asked the question that everybody was thinking. We talked about that last week. Peter's the designated loudmouth of the disciples. Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord, he asked. I'm ready to die for you. Bold words from our always ready to go, Peter. And I'm 100% confident that Peter meant these words, fully, he was ready to die. In fact, shortly after this, Peter draws his sword against the Roman soldiers that have come to arrest Jesus. He was fully ready to die to defend Jesus, but being willing to die isn't the goal. Jesus wants us to live for him, and sometimes that's harder. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. So now we fast forward a little. It's now late on Thursday night in Jerusalem. Jesus has just been arrested and taken away to the house of the high priest. Most of the disciples are nowhere to be found. They've scattered, drifted off into the darkness, too shocked, too angry by the actions of Judas to do anything else. They're just stunned. And when the crowd of soldiers led Jesus away, Peter alone of all the disciples decided to follow them. He had promised never to desert Jesus, and he wasn't going to start now, so he followed. And in the confusion, it was easy to tag along behind the crowd. He was just going along with it. No one seemed to notice him. Certainly no one recognized him as one of Jesus' top men. He followed the crowd to the house of the high priest, and the cr- house opened into a courtyard, which could only be entered through the gate near the alley. And by the time Peter got there, the soldiers had taken Jesus inside to meet the high priest. So he was a little bit late. The crowd had partly dispersed since it was late and the major excitement was over for now. And some had gone home, others were staying around, seeing if things would pick up again, warming themselves by the fire in the courtyard. It was early April. Temperature had dropped into the upper 40s, so it was a little chilly. And it was hard for Peter to tell exactly how many people there were, maybe 50 soldiers hanging out, servant girls running errands here and there. And then there were onlookers, which is exactly the category that Peter finds himself in who were waiting to see what would happen to this guy, Jesus, whom everybody else knew as a teacher, as a criminal, depending on where they come from. Peter knew him as his rabbi, his teacher, his friend. And in order to understand what happens next, it helps to remember that it's now sometime after midnight. This is late, late, late Thursday night. It's actually early Friday morning now. And in the darkness, Peter comes to the gate and he waits to be admitted, to be let in. No one there knows who he is, or at least he thinks that. So it should be perfectly safe for him to gather here at the home. True, he's now in enemy territory, but it's the middle of the night. And there's no reason for them to suspect him. So armed with that thought, he brushes past the servant girl on his way to stand by the fire in the courtyard. And then we read in John 18, Peter had to stay outside the gate. Then the disciple who knew the high priest, spoke to the woman watching at the gate, and she let Peter in. The woman asked Peter, You're not one of that man's disciples, are you? No, he said, I am not. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves, and Peter stood with them, warming himself. We don't see a whole lot of wrestling internally in that moment in the passage there, do we? She asked the question, no, I am not. And then what did he do on the other side of this moment? He walks in and starts hanging out with the people who just arrested Jesus. Warms himself around the fire with them. And just as he was getting to the fire, the servant girl spoke up and said, you were with that Nazarene, Jesus from Galilee. The words hit Peter. They had to hit him like an electric shock, right? Right? I mean, somehow she recognized him, and all of a sudden, just panic mode starts for Peter. How did she know him? No one knows. It really didn't matter, and it didn't matter that she didn't know his name. She just knew him as one of them, and what matters was that she had connected him with Jesus, so he had to think fast. Instinctively, he flat out denied it. Just play dumb. Act like you don't know what she's talking about, and it worked, or at least Peter thought it worked, and as he stood around the fire now talking to the soldiers, he noticed two or three people looking at him closely maybe a little too closely, too carefully. One or two were nodding in his direction and whispering, and minutes passed, and Peter turned to walk out of the courtyard. Things were getting a little dicey for him, and we read in Matthew 26 now, later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him and said to those standing around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Again, Peter denied it. This time with an oath, with a curse. I don't even know the man, he said. Peter tried to act calm, but he felt his heart pounding in his chest. Quick now, you've got to say something. Think, think, think. Don't just stand there. So he said, I don't even know the man. But when he said it, his face was flushed. He could tell the girl didn't really believe him. Peter knew he was in real trouble. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's in the enemy camp, warming himself around the enemy's fire. If he tried to leave now, that would arouse even more suspicion. But if he stayed, they might find him out. And so more time passes, he's still there, he's denied it twice, more looks and whispers directed at him, and after about an hour, it appeared that Jesus' interview with the high priest was about over, and the guards were going to and from the house, and the temple of the courtyard started to pick up, that people could tell something was about to happen, and Peter breathed a sigh of relief, maybe he could get out of this after all, the attention was going to be taken off him, and put back on Jesus, and it was just at that moment that a man spoke up from the other side of the fire. He sounded more sure of himself and definitely more hostile than the, other, than the servant girls had been. John 18, 26 and 27, but one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, that's not good, asked, didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? In other words, he was there When Peter lopped off the guy's ear, again, Peter denied it, and immediately, a rooster crowed. Peter looked at him and tried to play dumb, and this time, it didn't work. It couldn't work. Evidently, this guy had gone with the crowd to arrest Jesus, and he was a relative of Malchus, the man whose ear Peter had impulsively, it's Peter, cut off. Peter was trapped here, and he knew it. This this guy had seen him with Jesus, plus he was plenty ticked off about what Peter had done. When a man is backed into a corner, he's going to do almost anything to save himself. In this case, as other gospel writers describe it, Peter began to curse and swear as he denied it. I don't know him. Why don't you leave me alone? May God strike me dead if I have ever heard of this man, Jesus and, and the words that he used just came tumbling out, words born out of fear, born out of exhaustion, words Peter probably hadn't used since his days as a fisherman started to come out of his mouth as he denied it. And the very instant the words flew from his mouth, a rooster began to crow. That's the story of Peter's denial. And it's not just a story to make us feel bad for Peter. Peter or to make us feel bad for Jesus because Peter denied him, or to get upset with Peter because he denied Jesus. Like every story in the Bible that we have, they are a resource to us, and we need to ask some questions that will help us. We need to ask some questions that will cause us to think about, how do I act? How should I be acting? What can I do to avoid the same trap that he or she fell into in Scripture? help us to live the kind of lives that Jesus wants us to live. And at the top of the list of questions is what possessed Peter to deny Jesus? What in the world caused this man to deny knowing his friend, his rabbi, his teacher, his Messiah? The answer isn't too tough to figure out. Peter was scared and Peter was tired. That doesn't excuse his conduct, but it certainly does make it understandable. After everything that had happened, Peter finally ran out of strength. And guys, we can all relate to this. When we are tired and weak, we are the most vulnerable. I mean, think about it. When do you most often snap at your spouse or your kids? When you're tired. When you're exhausted. When you're burned out. When do we give in to temptation? When we've got nothing left in the tank. We are more vulnerable than at any other time in our lives. And on top of that, think about things from Peter's point of view here. Jesus case appeared to be hopeless. The chief priests had him at last, they would not let him go till he was dead. That everybody knew that. What point would there be at this point in sticking your neck out? And so besides that, Peter is tired and lonely and cold and a little bit disoriented. Plus, and this is a big factor here, he never expected to be questioned by a servant girl. That was not on his radar. Her question caught him totally off guard, and he blurted out an answer almost without thinking, but once he denied knowing Jesus the first time, there was now no going back. He had to keep up the denial, and that's something we all know to be true in our own lives from our own past experience. Lies rarely come alone. They travel in packs. You just have to keep compounding it. And that's part of the irony of this story is that Peter denied Jesus to a servant girl. Not to the high priest, not to a soldier, not to anyone important in their society, but to someone nobody was afraid of. And don't forget, Peter was ready to die for Christ that night. Just two hours earlier, he was whacking off somebody's ear. Peter was not a coward. And he knew the risk involved in going to the courtyard of the high priest. And I think though I can't prove this, that if Peter had been brought before the high priest, he would have said, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. With a smile on his face. And he would have followed his master to the cross. I fully believe that. That's the kind of dude that Peter was. So what happened? He was totally unprepared to be questioned by a servant girl. She caught him off guard, and he lied about knowing Jesus, and one lie leads to another. What happened to Peter was not a fluke. It wasn't an accident. He started the path to denial long before he opened his mouth. He set himself up with a long string of bad decisions. And I'm sure we can probably relate to this in some sense that our worst moments are usually preceded by a bunch of wrong choices that got us there. When we hit the ground, when we hit bottom, It's usually not one choice that led us to that moment of bottoming out. It's a whole slew of bad choices that got us to that point. So let's take a look at the wrong choices Peter made that ended with the rooster crowing. Seven big mistakes Peter made that night, and the first of which is he talked when he should have been listening. At the Last Supper, when Jesus said that all his disciples would desert him, immediately, Peter impulsively blurted out, even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you, Jesus. Within six hours, Peter would do the exact opposite. And here's the thing. Jesus, by saying that, was trying to coach them. He's trying to help them. He's trying to warn them. And Peter just wanted to get his two cents in and make himself look better than the rest. Even if everyone else deserts you, who's he talking about? The other guys in the room with him. Even if everybody else deserts you, not me. I'm your number one. Remember? I'm the rock. I'm the one who made the confession. Make sure when you are spending time with God in prayer that you give him equal time. Spend time listening. Let the Holy Spirit speak into your life. We fall into the same trap that Peter did of just wanting to blab to God all the time. And yes, we need to talk to God. That's part of prayer. But equally a part of prayer is listening and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide and direct and coach us. And we can't fall into the same trap that Peter did is talk when we should have been listening. Second mistake Peter made, he didn't acknowledge his own weakness. Peter wasn't, Peter was not known for a real healthy level of self-awareness. Okay. Um, And that's a huge issue when it comes to temptation. When we don't have a a healthy awareness of who we are and where our weak points are, we're in trouble. The moment you think you're above temptation is the exact moment you are likely to fall. So if you think you're above temptation, if you think that's never gonna get me, if you think I can't possibly fall into that temptation like he did or like she did, there's no way I'm gonna do that, man, Buckle up because you're in for a bumpy ride. When we recognize our weakness, though, we can surround ourselves with other people who will hold us accountable, who will help us to be strong. We can avoid circumstances that will highlight that weakness or bring next level temptation into our lives. We need to understand where our weak spots are. And once again, that goes back to number one. Spend time listening. Ask the Holy Spirit, where are my weak spot- spots? Where are my blind spots? Where do I not know that I'm weak? Show me. Third thing he did is he ignored Jesus' warning. Right? I mean, that's a problem. Jesus said, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. He couldn't have been more specific. This is where your temptation's going to come, Peter. Here it is. And we sit here and kind of sort of judge Peter for flat out ignoring Jesus' warning, don't we? Come on, Peter. Jesus just told you that you were going to do this. Man up. How many times, though, ask yourself this question. How many times have I ignored the warnings that Jesus has given me through his teachings and through his word? How many times do I read scripture and have something that I read in my morning devotion time and I say, wow, that's good. Ooh, that's strong. I wonder who that's for. And then later on that same day, I'm like in the middle of it. And I ignored the warning that God had just given me. More times probably than we can remember. The Bible is written to help us avoid the big mistakes to avoid falling into sin, but we have to learn it and we have to apply it. Number four, Peter kept his distance from Jesus. He followed Jesus, but at a distance when he should have been at his side. In this case, following Jesus from far off only got him in more trouble. Churches today unfortunately are filled with people who keep their distance from Jesus. I'll follow Jesus, but I don't want to get too close. I'll come to church as long as it doesn't mess with my life too much. They say they're his followers, but there's no intimacy in that relationship. There's no closeness, and it's a recipe for disaster. Stay close to Jesus. Number five, he hung out with the wrong crowd. Peter had no business hanging out with the enemies of Jesus here. I mean, here's the thing. This wasn't missional on his part. He's not there to try to convince them of the truth. He's not there to talk to the soldiers and say, hey, that guy, he's the Messiah. You need to follow him. No, Peter's there standing there around the campfire talking to these guys and denying Jesus. So there's nothing missional about his efforts here. It's counterproductive what he's doing here. He had no business being in that circle. He was hiding in the middle of them through his lies. He was placing himself in a position where he would almost certainly be exposed. Peter warmed himself by the wrong fire. The people you spend the majority of your time with need to share your faith. Let me say that again. The people you are closest to, the people you spend the majority of your time with, need to share your faith and your level of passion for Jesus. They need to be moving in the same direction as you are moving. Now, don't hear me say you need to isolate yourself from all other people outside of church folk. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. We need to have non-Christian friends in our lives. We need to have people in that category so we can be an influence on them, so we can be witnessing to them, so we can be sharing our experience and telling them about God's goodness and what he's done for us. We need to have those relationships in our lives, no question. But like my youth pastor used to say when I was in high school, he said this all the time to this day. I remember it like it was yesterday. It's okay to sit on an iceberg as long as you are melting the ice. But when your butt starts to get cold, it's time to get off. Okay? That's in the context of our relationships, the same thing is true. It's okay to have those relationships with people who are far from God as long as you are having an influence, as long as you are making a difference. But the second your fire starts to grow cold, it's time to get out. It's time to put some space there. Peter hung out with the wrong crowd. Number six, he was unprepared when the attack came. He legitimately didn't realize it was coming. He thought he was in the clear. And here's what I want you to know. An attack is always coming, church. An attack is always coming. The devil has lost. His outcome is set. His end has already been written. There is no question on that. But he wants nothing more than to bring you down with him. And the attack is always coming. Expect it, prepare for it, and be strong in God's strength. Finally, number seven, he compounded his sin. Why didn't Peter wake up after the first denial? This is what I just don't understand. He denied Jesus, right? He says, I don't know the man. Why in the world did that not trigger something in Peter? Why in the world when he said that Jesus had told him this earlier that night, but he started by deceiving, then denying with an oath, and then finally swearing? It is interesting to note that Peter really only fooled himself. He didn't fool anybody around him. The others never really believed him. They sensed he was lying. Peter only food himself. And so Peter, the rock, had crumbled in the critical moment that Jesus needed him to stand firm. He had denied his Lord not once, but three times. And it was a failure he would remember for the rest of his life. It's almost like Paul was thinking about Peter when he wrote part of his letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. That kind of describes Peter to a T. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. And I think it helps all of us put that verse into context when we think of this night from Peter's life where Peter fell and fell hard. But here's the thing. More significant than Peter falling was that Peter didn't stay down. More significant than Peter falling was that Peter did not stay down. Some of you need to hear this right now. This is something you absolutely not need to not just hear, but you need to internalize this and you need to meditate on this and you need to pray about this, but everybody falls. Romans 3 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. Every one of us, we all fall. It's universal. So the fact that Peter failed, even in a big way, a monumental way, isn't that significant because it happens to all of us, doesn't it? We all have those moments, but Peter got back up. We know that Peter was instrumental in the launch of the the church. He preached a sermon on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people got saved. He certainly did not stay defeated, did he? When you fall down, hear this, get back up. Don't stay down. We can learn just as much from how he got back up as we can from how he fell. The problem is too many believers, they, they, they fall, they give in to the temptation of the devil, and then they lay there and they listen to the lies of the devil saying, you're not worth it. God has no use for you anymore. You can't make it. You failed him one too many times. Just stay down. And we do get up. Here were the keys for Peter. The first key was the rooster's crow. The gospels are unanimous on this point. They speak with one voice on this. The rooster crowed at the exact moment of Peter's third denial. Like it was right then, as the foul words flew out of his mouth, at that very instant from somewhere off in the distance, a rooster began to crow. The rooster crowed, and here's what happened. Peter remembered. It's like the bell started ringing in Peter's conscience at this point. Everything clicked in that moment. It was his wake-up call. He was so cocky just a few hours before, so confident of his own strength, so, so sure of his own abilities. And the sound of the rooster meant, Peter, I warned you this would happen and you didn't believe me. We all need to become aware of our sin. There has to be that wake-up call. We all need that wake-up moment so that we can get up. You can't get up until you have that wake-up moment. The second key for him was he locked eyes with Jesus. Luke's version of this story contains one key detail that the other gospel writers don't mention. It's in Luke 22. At that moment, right at the third denial, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Since this was the middle of the night, this had to have happened just as the guards were taking Jesus from his interview with Caiaphas to his trial before the Sanhedrin. And evidently the guards were leading Jesus through the courtyard just as Peter was denying Christ for the third time. And in that tiny moment of time, Peter cursed, the rooster crowed, Peter looked up and saw Jesus looking directly at him. Now here's something we don't often think about, but by the time Jesus, by this time in the night, Jesus' face is black and blue, his eyes are almost swollen shut from the beatings he's taken, his cheeks are bruised and covered with the spit of the soldier's trace of blood trickles from his lips, even though it's in the dead of night, Peter can see him perfectly in the firelight, and Jesus could see him. Jesus doesn't say a word. He looks at Peter, who's denied him for the third time. Everything has happened just as he predicted, and it was a convicting look. You said you did not know me. Look at me, Peter. Look at me. Do you know me now? It was a compassionate look. Peter, you're so weak. Now you know that without me, you can do nothing. And it was a commissioning look. Weep, Peter, and remember your words, then go and be strong for the rest. Guys, when you fall, the best thing you can do is to be seen by Jesus and to fix your eyes on him. The third key to Peter getting back up were the words of Jesus that came flooding back into his mind. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all stressed that when the rooster crowed, Peter remembered the words of Jesus. And it was this memory more than anything else that brought Peter back to God. Not only had Peter fallen, he had fallen after all of his prideful boasting. It had happened just as Jesus predicted, and those words spoken in love had lodged themselves in Peter's mind. So much had happened in those few hours that Peter had forgotten, but finally he remembered what Jesus had said. And hopefully, in your life, hopefully you've got some scripture that is memorized. You've got some of God's word for you, internalized. That you're reading the Bible regularly and becoming familiar with what God has to say to you. And if that's not a regular rhythm in your life, change it. Start. Read God's word. Memorize God's word. Let that become a regular habit in your life. And when we're tempted, and especially after we fall, those words will come back to us and they will be a huge part of our restoration as we remember what God has said to us Psalm 119:11 I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you there is a power to resist temptation and to get back up after we fall from hiding God's word in our heart finally the last thing the key for Peter to get back up was Peter's tears The words used there in in Greek mean that Peter wept bitterly, soul-wracking sobs. They're a sign of his deep, deep repentance that he was experiencing. He realized at last what he had done, how far he had fallen, how his denials had hurt the Lord, and tears can lead us back to God. But not always. Judas wept too. His tears led to his suicide. Peter's tears led to repentance. Tears are good if they lead to a new dedication to Jesus and a new determination to serve him. We may weep and weep, but if our hearts are not broken and open before God, our tears do us no good whatsoever. We just feel bad. For Peter, his tears signaled the breaking of his heart because of his sin. Psalm 51, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. That's the key. That's what God wants from us. He doesn't want perfection. He wants brokenness. He wants repentance. It's not that he, he demands that we never fall. He wants us to continually get back up, repent, and follow. The last step before we get back up, after we fall, is to experience brokenness. Peter's tears showed us that his sorrow wasn't just for getting caught. It was for turning his back on Jesus. And my prayer for all of us is that when we sin, when we fail, it's not because we get caught that we feel bad, but it's because we broke the heart of God. One thing we can learn from all of this is that Peter was at his core loyal to Jesus. He was. At least he followed Jesus into the courtyard, right? None of the other disciples did. The rest of them wouldn't even do that. Peter fell to a temptation that could only come to a brave man. He didn't handle himself well, but at least he was there. His failure was terrible, but at least he cared enough to try and follow his Lord. That doesn't excuse his sin, but it does help us see a bigger picture. Because in the end, it was not Peter's faith that failed. It was his courage, his strength. Jesus had told Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Well, his prayer was answered. Peter never lost his faith in the moment of crisis. He lost his courage. And it is true that Peter was cowardly, profane, and dishonest that night. It is also true that underneath it all, he loved Jesus deeply. And he was there in the courtyard with all his faults, keeping an eye on his master. Peter was a good man who failed to live up to the best intentions of his heart. Boy, how many of us can that describe? A good person who failed to live up to the best intentions of our hearts. Pretty sure that describes probably most of us here this morning. You don't wake up and say, today, I'm going to blow it big time. You want to please God. You want to do the right thing. You want to do what the Bible tells us is the way we should live, the way we should treat each other. But then there are those moments where we don't. Jesus knew about Peter's denial long before it happened. He knew what Peter would do. He knew how he would react, and he knew the kind of man Peter would be after. And there's an important principle at work here. You know a bone that is broken often becomes stronger after it's healed? Bone often becomes stronger after it heals. Something in the healing process actually makes the break point stronger than it was before. And the same thing is true of our failures. God can take where we are broken and make us stronger than we were before. Even though we fall and fall and fall and though our faces are covered with the muck of defeat, by God's grace, we can get up again and keep running the race. And we can still win. That's what happened to Peter. His guilt was turned into grace. His shame was turned into surrender. And his failure was turned into faithfulness. Here's the proof. Peter did much more for Jesus after his failure than he did before. Way more. Before his fall, he was loud, obnoxious, unreliable. Afterward, he became this fire-breathing preacher of the gospel. Before he was a big talker, afterward he talked about what Jesus could do for others. He was the same man, but he was different. He'd been changed by his failure. What did Peter lose in his failure? He lost his vanity, his pride, his self-confidence, his impulsivity, his unreliability. What did he gain after his restoration? humility, new confidence in God, tested courage, new determination to serve Jesus, and a willingness to use his experience to help others. The things he lost, he certainly didn't need. And the things he gained really couldn't have come any other way. God redeems our mistakes by removing the things that brought us down and replacing them with the qualities we always wanted, but could never seem to grab hold of. There's a lot in this story that should encourage us. It was not the real Peter who denied Jesus. It was the real Peter who followed him into the courtyard. It was not the real Peter who cursed and swore. It was the real Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. When the Lord looks at you and he looks at me in Christ, he doesn't look at us and see only our failures. He sees beyond our faults to the loyalty underneath. He sees our pain, our tears, our earnest desire to please him. He sees us in our problematic attempts to follow him and he sees us redeemed. Who is this story for? It's for those of us who are being tempted, who feel the pull of sin trying to draw us away from God. Do you feel weak and confused? Peter felt that way too. Are you discouraged about your life? Peter felt discouraged too. Do you feel backed into a corner? So did Peter. This story is for you second this story is for those who have fallen maybe you've buckled under pressure this week maybe you carry a load of guilt from some thoughtless words that you said in anger or frustration maybe you denied the Lord by keeping quiet at work when you should have spoken up maybe you've been where you shouldn't have been maybe you've been in a relationship that you know is wrong you need to be encouraged Peter not only felt like you he also fell like you thirdly this story is for those who are coming back to God You know all about weeping bitter tears. Feel like God is far away from you. Feeling embarrassed and humiliated by the things you did and said that got you in the mess you're in. Be encouraged this morning. Peter felt that way too. And this story should give us incredible hope. If Peter can fall, anybody can fall. If Peter can come back, anybody can come back. And one final point. Where did this story come from anyway? How did it get in the Bible in the first place? Who told this story? It could only come from Peter. No one else was there to tell what happened. And I wonder if I would have done the same thing. We tend to hide our mistakes, don't we, to make sure no one finds out about them. Not Peter. Once he was restored, and Pastor Ken is going to talk about his restoration next Sunday, Peter couldn't stop talking about what Jesus had done for him. There is hope for all of us. Peter still speaks to us today. If you think you've fallen short, if you feel like you've denied him, look at what happened to me. God still loves you. And he loves you so much that it doesn't matter what you've done. If God can forgive me, he can forgive anyone. He loves you. He always has and he always will. And if you have fallen, he can pick you up. If you are broken, he can make you whole again. If you have failed, he can make you useful again. If you have lost your courage, he can give it back to you again. So church, be encouraged today and believe the good news. Keep hold of the gospel. If he did it for Peter... He can do it for you. Let's pray. Praise you, Lord. God, we thank you for your grace, which is greater than all our sin. And God, we look at this story from the life of Peter and such an iconic story that we hear told a lot. But God, I pray that we would not just hear the story, but God, we would learn the lessons that we need to learn from this story. And keep your heads bowed for a second. I just want to address a couple of different groups of people here this morning. First of all, I want to talk to those of you who maybe feel like you're, you're being drawn away. You're weak. You're confused. You feel like you're going to give in. You're feeling discouraged about your life. You feel backed into a corner like Peter was. You just don't know which way to go. And you just need God's strength to restore that courage to you, to live strong. I want to pray for you this morning. If that's you, would you just acknowledge to God, yeah, that's me. I need your strength this morning. Just lift your hand, and I'll pray for you as we close. Awesome. Thanks. Anybody else? Secondly, I want to pray for those who you've fallen. Maybe it was recently. Maybe it was just this week. Maybe it was, it's years ago, but you're still laying there waiting to get back up. Maybe it's super fresh. Maybe it was in the car on the way here. But there's something that you're just carrying guilt, and, and you just need to be restored. You need God to restore you. I want to pray for you this morning. Would you just lift your hand and say, yeah, I need God to speak to me this morning and bring restoration. Thanks. Awesome. Finally, maybe you're here and you're in a mess of your own making. And you're like Peter, you're weeping those bitter tears. And you keep trying to get back on track with God, but for some reason, it just is not there. And you want to truly have that moment of repentance today. Saying, God, I'm coming back all the way. Would you take me back again? And I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you lift your hand this morning? Awesome. Let's pray together. God, I pray for all three of these groups. For those who are discouraged and are feeling tempted and are are just feeling weak. God, I pray that you would strengthen them with a supernatural strength, God, that can come nowhere but from your Holy Spirit. God, give them courage and strength and boldness that goes way beyond themselves to make right choices, to make good decisions. God, I pray that you would lead them clearly, point them in the right direction, and give them the strength to walk in it. I pray for those that maybe recently or maybe a long time ago have, have fallen. God, they've buckled under the pressure of temptation. Got they're carrying this guilt with them. And, Lord, I just pray that you would help them to get back up right now. God, I pray that you would restore them, that you would let them see themselves as you see them as redeemed by Christ. That, God, they would not listen to the lies of the enemy, but, God, you would speak truth into their lives right now. Let them sense your love in a way maybe they've never felt before. And, God, I pray that you would restore them in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for each one of us today that we would hear the lessons from this story, and, God, we would apply them to our lives. Don't let us fall into the same trap that Peter did of hearing it, and not doing anything about it. But God, let us walk out from this place different people, prepared, God, to face the attacks of the enemy, and prepared, God, to live the lives you've called us to live. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.